You are listening to LEC Online Church, a ministry of Lake Erie Church in Madison, Ohio. We are a multicultural, multi-generational Pentecostal church. For more information, please visit our website at lakeeriechurch.com. Now, we hope you enjoy today's message. I've been waiting for several weeks to preach this message to you because I believe it is such a powerful and needful message for our church. This message this morning is for every person who has ever been disappointed in God. For every person who's ever felt like that God was not paying attention when you needed him to help you. Because I think we preach and sing about a Jesus who rides in on a white horse and slays all of our enemies and sets everything right. And we love that Jesus. We, we celebrate that Jesus. But what about when we prayed and our prayers are not answered the way that we thought they were going to be answered? What about when we're not healed even though we have believed every promise of the book for healing? What about when our children don't come back to faith? What about when the job does not return? Or the bank forecloses on the house? Where is God then? If we're honest... There's a part of us that wants to say, is God still there? Is God still paying attention? Does God still answer prayer? I want to tell you this morning a a little story about a couple of friends of mine that have given me permission to tell their story. It's not anybody here in our church. Someone that I met many, many years ago and, and their story was so impactful to me that I wrote it in a book. And as I was putting this message together, I went back and remembered and reread their story. They gave me permission to share it, and so I do that with their permission. I won't call their names, but this couple, I've I've known them a long, long time, and they spent nearly a decade trying to have a baby. They tried everything that they could think of. We all prayed for them. She was anointed and prayed for. They were prayed for as a couple. They tried everything, but they could not conceive a child. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, just just out of nowhere, she announces that she's pregnant. And we were all ecstatic about it. And we celebrated with them and the announcement that there was going to be a new member to their family. And they began to work at reorganizing their life and converted a home office into a beautiful nursery and And the family was getting ready for this momentous change and moment in their life. And every month as she would go to the doctor's appointments, he would arrange to get off from work and go with her. And they were in this all together. One day in one of those appointments, the doctor had ordered an ultrasound. It was scheduled. They knew it was going to take place. And so there uh, in the, the examining room, the The technician is there and they're going through what has been a very normal process. My friends tell me that all of a sudden the technician turned off the machine and grabbed the 
charts and walked out of the room. In a few minutes, the doctor came into the room and he looked at my friends and he said, I regret to tell you this, but your baby is dead. I remember them telling me that in that moment, they had no words, that it was, it was, they were numb, that the expression, the, the, the emotion drained out of them. They, they didn't know. They got dressed, she got dressed, and they got in the car, and she said, we drove home in silence. There wasn't anything to say. But she said, inside of me, there was a voice screaming at the top of my lungs, there's no way this is happening. They loved the Lord. They served the Lord with their whole heart. And there were no answers. In short order, she delivered early the, the remains of her baby and with nobody. They didn't want anybody to be there. She and her husband drove out to the family farm and in a nondescript place, they buried the remains of their baby and put a stone over the space. They drove home in silence and decided that they had to try to move on. But how do you move on from that? How do you deal with the disappointment when things don't happen the way that you thought they were going to happen? How, how do we manage those kind of things? How do we process those kind of moments in life? And I know as I speak this morning that there are dozens and maybe more of people who are sitting here listening to me or watching me online. You know exactly how they feel. You know exactly what that's like because you've lived through that. And you've had to wrestle and put your life back together from the, the disappointment and the struggle and the confusion and the lack of clarity about why things happen like they do. For some of you, it may not be a baby that was born dead, but it might be a career that got off track. Or it may have been a financial decision that got away from you and now you're still struggling with that. Things that are that happened to you for which you have no control, that, that just simply got away from you, a child, a relationship, a marriage partner that walked away without any notice that it was taking place. And you don't know what to say. You don't know how to act. You don't know what you're supposed to do. You're trying to get on with your life. You're trying to, to deal with the intense pain, the personal loss, the devastation. And you need answers. And there aren't any answers. And you don't know how you're supposed to go through that. And like the sisters, we want to cry out to God and say, where were you? Why did you not do for me what you've done for other people? When I was a boy growing up in the church, some of you are old enough to remember this, we used to sing a song, we'll understand it better by and by. But will we? I don't think you'll find that in the Bible. It's a wonderful song, but it's not necessarily in the Bible that we're going to understand every unanswered question of our life. God has not promised you and I that we're going to get the answers to every one of our unanswered questions in life. The reality is that there are plenty of people in this world who love God very, very much. They have served the Lord with distinction and faith. And yet they live with the unanswered questions in life. Does God love them? Absolutely. Absolutely. 
Does God know why they hurt and how they hurt? Absolutely, I believe that with my whole heart. Then why do things like this happen to people who love God? I don't know. I honestly don't know. I was reading recently in Hebrews chapter 11 and I asked them to put this on the screen for you. I want you to look at it with me. Beginning with verse 32, Hebrews chapter 11, which is known as the great chapter of faith. Notice what it says beginning with verse 32. The writer says, how much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, received what God promised them. They shut the mouths of lions. They quenched the flames of fire. They escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put armies to flight. Women received their loved ones back again from the dead. And if it stopped right there, that'd be fine. But it continues. But others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prison. Some died by stoning. Some were sawn in half. Others were killed with the sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. Of them, the writer said, they were too good for this world. Wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. Same God. Same salvation. Some were appointed to great feats of notoriety. And others were tortured with painful death. How do you explain that? I don't. Because I don't know. We say our heart cries out, where is the fairness of God in those kind of situations? And I have to remind myself that the Bible never promises us that God is fair. Only that God is just. Because there's no way that in the human mind we will ever be able to understand the things that God already knows and God understands. So what am I supposed to do? When I don't understand, I can trust him. That's the answer. When I don't have the answers to my questions, when I don't know why things have fallen apart the way that they have, I can trust in God. When I read the story in John chapter 11, I'm drawn to this fact that there is so much of the human dimension that is exhibited here. So much that's demonstrated that you and I can relate to because life is so full of those moments when we don't have answers even though we in fact want to know the answer. And it reminds me that even though I don't have the answers, I don't necessarily need to know everything. Now I know that goes against most of our pride because we are, we expect that we will get the answer. We expect God to give us the answer. We're intelligent, we're mature, we're educated, we have a wealth of life experience, and yet more times than not, we just don't know. Maybe it's because I'm older. 
But I've learned that it's okay not to know. It's okay to be able to say, I don't know. You know, Shelly and I, before we went to bed last night, she was telling me that Matthew Perry of the Friends sitcom had passed away at the age of 54 through some sort of a swimming accident. And she said to me, she said, I wonder how that happened. I said, I'm assuming that his children must have been on his back holding him down under the water and wouldn't let him up and he drowned. She said, how did you know that? I said, I didn't. I don't know how he died. And it's okay to not know. It's okay to have permission to just not know sometimes. And even though we might feel like we would be better if we did know, it's not always the case. When we say that we believe that God is in control, what is it that we're actually saying? We say that all the time, and especially when we don't know. God's in control. God's got it. He's sovereign. He's on his throne. He knows. He's got it under control. He knows what's taking place. He knows how the Middle East is going to turn out. He, he knows what's going to happen to all those families in Maine this week that lost their loved ones. He knows. And he's in control. But what does that mean? I found this quote by Larry Crabb, who's one of my favorite authors. He writes in one of his books, he said, By affirming God's ultimate control over all things, no one is assigning responsibility to him for the wicked deeds of other people. The Holocaust, Stalin's atrocities, and terrorism are properly blamed on the sheer evil and those who yield to it. So too is every instance of drunk driving, sexual abuse, gossip, parental indifference, overeating, lying, sexual immorality, cowardice, and though arguably to a lesser degree. God is not to be blamed for any of those things for reasons that we cannot quite understand, he says. God allows evil, but he never causes it. The challenge for Mary and Martha in John chapter 11 is that if they believe that God is in control, then why do bad things happen to people who trust in the Lord? Their question is the question that we have. Where is Jesus when we need him. Why did he not show up in the moment that we needed him? Both, both sisters say to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. They have confidence in God's power. They have confidence in God's control. But they don't understand why that control did not work in their behalf. Why they were on the backside of God's control. And something happened that was unexplainable in their life. Their brother has died. The story is so simple. They sent word to Jesus and they said to Jesus, Your friend Lazarus is dead. Please come and pray for him that he will be healed. The Bible said that Jesus delayed two days. It's a very strange passage of scripture. Very strange. He waited two days until Lazarus died. And then he said, let us go. Our friend Lazarus is not dead, but he is asleep. And when they arrive on the scene, one of the sisters comes and says to Jesus, Jesus, if you had just been here when we sent for you, we sent word in enough time for you to come. If you would have just come... 
my brother would not have died. And then she goes back in the house and she says, Jesus is out there. And the second sister comes out and guess what? She falls before Jesus and she said, Jesus, I know you can do all things, but if you had just been here, my brother would not have died. I read those verses and it, in my head, it, just the way that I read it, I, I hear them saying to Jesus, if you were who I thought you were, if you had done what I expected you to do, I wouldn't be in the mess that I'm in right now. If you had just shown up to me in that moment, if you had come when we sent for you, when we prayed, when we stood in that prayer line, when we prayed for, had someone pray for us, when we lifted our hand at the beginning of the service and someone came and prayed with us, if you had just moved in, we wouldn't be here. You see, over the last several weeks, we've watched the heart of thousands of innocent people and children who are caught in a war in the Middle East. And there's some part of us that wants to know, does God know? Does God see? Does God care? A crazed man took a gun into a, a couple of businesses in a small town in Maine this week and 18 people died. And those families are planning funerals that they never thought they were going to be planned. Did God know? Does God care? Why didn't God prevent the evil that was taking place? I don't know. You see, the challenge for you and I is to learn how to trust God when we don't know. Can we trust God when we don't have the answers? The answers that we believe we deserve to know. The things that we think that we ought to know. Can we trust God in those kind of moments? Not only do we demand we want the answers to be done, but we need to remind ourselves, and I do this often, that God never loses track of what he's doing. God never loses track of what he's doing. Now, I'm not that way. I'm always losing stuff. I forget names. I sometimes forget where my keys are. I forget to return your phone call. I have all kinds of things that I forget. I forget that I'm supposed to look over a document that one of the staff handed me earlier in the week and I'm supposed to respond to that. I forget what's in my stack of things I'm supposed to do, but not God. God never forgets what he's doing. God never loses track of what he's trying to accomplish. He's not confused. He's not surprised. He knows what he's doing. I remind myself that God has accepted the personal responsibility for every bird in the sky, every tree that's growing, every crawling animal, every insect, every beast of the earth. This God that I serve has taken on the responsibility for every human being on five continents. He knows the names of every star in the galaxy and every galaxy that he is. And if you put him on the spot, he knows everything.
every person's name and he knows every detail of their life to the point that he can tell you what their favorite song is because he never forgets. He said in one occasion in the scripture, Zion said, Isaiah 49, Zion says, the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. He said, can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, he said, but I will never forget you. For I have inscribed you on the palm of my hand and your walls are continually before me. Consider how many people have lived on this planet since Adam and Eve were born. There's over 7 billion people. Almost 8 billion people right now. He knows every one of them. He doesn't forget anything. He doesn't forget where you are. He doesn't forget what you're going through. And even because you don't have the answers for the questions that you need to have answered or think that you do does not mean that God has forgotten you. He remembers. He knows. And he never forgets. Here's the final point. I don't have to have all the answers, but I need to remember that God never forgets. And in the end, God gets the glory for everything. This is the part of the story that is so confusing. Because Jesus says to the disciples, Lazarus is dead and this has been done in order that God may receive glory. Now, you, you won't wrestle with that long until that messes with your head. How does God get the glory? He says in verse 4 of chapter 11, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory. From this. Now I need every one of you to listen to me very carefully. If you're listening online, I need you to pay attention right now. Turn up your volume. Mary and Martha want Jesus to come and heal their brother. And in spite of their request, Jesus purposely waited two additional days. The sisters don't understand it and neither do I. We would have expected that Jesus would have dropped everything and headed straight to Bethany. But he waits. And the suspense nearly killed the sisters. And the sisters remind Jesus that they know that he has the power. He has all power. And if he had just been there, if he had worked in the framework of what they expected, their life wouldn't be as it is today. You're familiar with that dialogue, right? Because we use it with God all the time. If you would have done what I asked you to do way back there, we wouldn't be right here now. If you had just helped me in that moment back there, when I cried out to you, if you had given me what I requested, if you had done what I wanted you to do, When we say those words, we say them because we forget that Jesus is on a mission. There's no wasted space, no wasted energy with God. 
I told you a few weeks ago that I learned a long time ago God doesn't work the way that you and I work. I work sometimes in a panic. I didn't think that was going to happen, so I got to figure out what to do here. God doesn't work that way. God's not walking around heaven going, my gosh, I didn't know that guy was going to shoot somebody up in Maine. I didn't know that. What are we going to do? God doesn't work that way. He's on a mission. And his ways are higher than mine. His thoughts are higher than mine. The Bible said as the heavens are above the earth, so are his ways higher than mine. The world, according to Bill Isaacs, won't work for you. It won't work for you. My expectations are, are not always lined up with his. My life gets in turmoil sometimes because I don't understand what God is doing. But I can trust him. That he always knows what he's doing. And that even though he doesn't meet my expectations doesn't mean that he doesn't know exactly what he's doing. There's purpose to everything that God is doing, even when you don't understand it. And the issue in this story is the glory of God. Turn to your neighbor and say, the glory of God. Because the sisters say, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died because that's their agenda and not God's. That's what they want. And I think sometimes if we're just honest about it, we don't like to say this and you're not going to be comfortable saying it out loud. We want God to want what we want. And we struggle when God doesn't want what we want. And we think that God has forsaken us when God doesn't want what we want. And when God is not stepping to our tune, our agenda, our plans, we think that somehow God has forgotten us. And we fail to appreciate that He who began a good work in you will complete that work. The plan that God has for your life, He hasn't lost track of. And your life is not off the rails even though you think it is. Oh, I feel the Lord in this room this morning. Some of you thought, well, my life is off track. No, it's not. It's not. The steps of a good man, good woman are ordered by the Lord. God has his hand on you and he hasn't forgotten where you are. You see, I think the point is, and I say this without derision because I live right where these sisters are. I've been there so many times, I'm embarrassed to tell you how many times I've been right there. The problem is when we say those things to God, it's the fact that we miss the point. We miss the point. And what Jesus wants this crowd to do is to get the point. It's not the sickness that brings glory to God. It's how we reflect the glory of God. In our lives when adversity comes. That's the point. That's the point. It's not about the cancer. It's about how I reflect the glory of God while I'm going through the cancer. It's not about what's happening out there in the world. But it's how I live in a messed up world that reflects the glory 
of God. I want you to hear something. I'm going to read it to you. I don't think there's a slide for this. But I want you to listen to me. In Peter's letter, in 1 Peter chapter 2, he says this. For this finds favor, verse 19. This, okay, it's on the screen. This finds favor. If for the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under the sorrow when suffering unjustly. What is he saying? He's saying God is honored. God is blessed. When you bear up under the sorrows of your life that you are suffering unjustly and you are doing it for the Lord. For what credit is there when you sin and are harshly treated if you endure it with patience? In other words, you do something stupid and you pay for it. That's not going to bring glory to God. You're just going to get what you deserve. But if when you have done right and you suffer patiently to endure it, God, I don't understand why I'm going through this. But I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to give in. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to criticize you. I'm just going to live for you as hard as I can, even though I don't understand it. That's what Peter's saying. But then he goes on in chapter 3, verse 13. He said, who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation. He's talking about people that talk about you. Don't be troubled, but sanctify Christ our Lord in your hearts. Always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. In other words... When you're bearing up under the load, when you're going through tough times, when you're going through hardship and people see it and they say, well, I don't know how you're doing that. He said, be ready to give them an answer. They say, I don't understand why I'm going through this either, but I'm giving all glory to God. I'm living my life for the glory of God. I'm doing this for the glory of God. You see, the point is, is that when we faithfully follow Christ, even though we don't understand what is going on, He is glorified in your faithfulness. Listen. I'm your pastor. and I love you. Some of you don't even know how much I love you. And I know that some of you are going through really hard times. There's circumstances in your house. There's circumstances in your marriage. There's circumstances with your children. There's circumstances on your job. There's circumstances with your health. And if it were up to me, because I love you so much, I would just fix everything. You're healed. You're set free. You got a new job. You got a raise. I'd give it all to you because I love you that much. But I don't know what God knows. There's more going on in your life. Listen. There's more going on in your life right now than what you're living through. There's more going on in your life right now than what you're suffering from. There's more going on in your life right now than what you're dealing with. And if you get impatient... And if you get selfish and you demand your answers and you demand God do it your way, you may miss 
what God is really trying to do in that circumstance. Many of you know that my first wife passed away from cancer. She got her treatment at a hospital in Chicago, Illinois. The doctor that we had there was a Lithuanian woman by the name of Miss Catherine. And I remember the very first time that I met this, this doctor, I, I said to her, I said, you need to know that we are spirit-filled believers. And we're going to be praying for you every day that you will... Your gifts and abilities that God has given you will be exercised for her behalf. And she was very, very uncomfortable. You've met people like that. They don't have a faith background. They don't know anything about the Lord. They're really uncomfortable. And she said, so what does that mean? I said, it means that as soon as you finish examining her, I'm going to be praying for you before we leave this room. If that's okay. Oh, oh, yes, that, that's fine, that's fine. Every time we went, as soon as the examination was done, I said, let's pray, and I'd take her by the hands, and I would pray over her. I would pray the blessings of God over her. I would pray God's blessings on her life. She was a skilled medical professional, but she did not know Christ. And one day as I was driving back from Chicago, I heard in my head the voice of the Lord that said, if you think this is just about cancer, you're missing the point. One day when we went in for our examination, we were not supposed to see the doctor. We were supposed to see the medical practitioner. But we were waiting for that brother to come in, that gentleman to walk in. But here comes Miss Catherine in the room. And you could tell that she was distraught. Her eyes were puffy. And I said, well, I didn't expect that we would see you today. She said, you're not on my schedule to see me today. I'm not even supposed to be here today. My husband died last night. And I did not know what to do. But I knew you guys were coming today. And so if it's all right, before we examine Miss Kathy, can you pray for me? We get so focused on our world, we get so focused in our life, we may miss the fact that there's a God out there that's got all the pieces working together. He's got things going on that we don't even know anything about. And when Paul writes, when Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, he said, whatever you do, if you eat or drink, whatever you do, you do it all to the glory of God. You mean everything? Everything. Everything. Everything that you do is connected to what God is doing in your life. So when your life is ruined by the betrayal of an unfaithful spouse, your life is available to reflect the glory of God. When your personal decision to do the ethical right thing on your job is mocked by people who say you're crazy, your life reflects the glory of God. When you've tried and failed and you've been terribly embarrassed by the issues and you have tried to trust God with your life, your life is available for the glory of God. 
When people turn their back on you and you feel alone, your life is available for the glory of God. When my friends buried their stillborn baby in that backyard of the farm, their life was available for the glory of God. You say, are you sure, Pastor? Let me tell you how sure I am about this. Here's, here's the facts. If when you and I go through hard times, if we just fold up and quit, you know, sometimes I've felt like that. I'm just going to quit. If you fold up and quit, the witness of the cross means nothing. That's the way the world does. That's the way the world thinks. It's the way the world operates. But when you say, as Job did, though he slay me, I'll still trust him. I don't understand why this is going on. I don't know why I'm facing this. I don't know my, why my life is so messed up. I don't know why I can't keep my marriage together, but I'm going to trust him. Oh, I feel the Lord in this house. God's talking to some of you right now. He wants to help you understand that He knows where you are. He hasn't forgotten where you are. He's working even when you can't see it. He's working even when you can't see it. I want to say something that's very important, and I know I've gone over my time this morning. But listen, I'm not denying the circumstances. You ever met somebody, you know, that's got so much faith, I call it hyper faith. They got so much faith, they can't even admit that they're sick. Because they think if they admit that they're sick, that somehow or another they're, they're not trusting God. No, no, no. No, you're puking up, you're sick. I'm not denying that life hurts. Oh, I feel him in this room. I'm not denying that some of you are crying yourself to sleep at night. I'm not, I'm not denying that you can't put, put it together and you're in a state of confusion. I'm just asking you to consider the possibility of who God is and what God knows. I have a very good friend in this world by the name of Victor Massey. Victor pastors in Miami, Florida. And he told me this story one time, and I love this story. Musicians can get ready to play. He said, I was, I was in high school, and I was going. One of my classes was carpentry. And he said, all of us had to go home, and we had to build a table. A four-legged table, varnish it and bring it back. He said, so I worked on my table and he said, when I got done, he said, it was awful. He said, two of the legs were shorter and so the table wobbled. He said, the varnish was not completely dry and so it had run and there were streaks in my table. He said, I told my dad, I said, dad, I'm going to get a failing grade. So my dad said, Victor, here's what I suggest. Let's start over, and I'll help you this time. When I come to this platform this morning to tell some of you, God knows your table's wobbling. 
and he knows that you've made a mess of some of your stuff and you don't know what to do and you, don't, you can't fix it yourself, you can't resolve it. And God says, you know what, you're right, that's a mess. Let's start over and I'll help you this time. And I think the message this morning for some of you is simply this. Quit trusting what you think and start trusting what you believe. Stop trusting what you see. Start trusting what you believe. Because God's not brought you this far. He's not brought you to this place for you to be completely run over by your problems. We hope you were blessed by today's message. Now we invite you to visit one of our services soon. For more information, please visit us at lakeeriechurch.com.